Good. My name's Rob. I work here. And what a wonderful morning. Um, it's just great to be all together. Thanks, everybody who's come. Hello, everybody online, whether you're joining us live or if you're picking this up later. And if you're picking this up later because you're serving our kids in some way right now, thank you, thank you, thank you. May you be supremely blessed. Um, this morning, the mission is to try to help us understand what God was thinking he was doing when he raised Jesus from the dead. That's, that's the plan. I want you to be fully informed. This is what's important to me. I believe in people making their own choices once they've got the facts. Okay? This is how I work. I don't like, personally, don't like to be controlled or manipulated. Um, just give me the facts and let me choose. That's how I like to buy things online. That's how I like to do my faith. Just let me read the book. We can talk about it, but don't try to railroad me. And that's how I speak as well. I, I don't want anyone to come out of here feeling guilt-tripped, manipulated, railroaded, man-handled, pastor-handled, because, you know, there's male and female and then pastor as the third. There's an old joke about that, you know. There's men, there's women, and then there's ministers. Um, it's not my heart for anyone here today. But I do want us to meet with God by hearing him talk to us. I believe that the Bible is God's book, which he inspired and got people to write the book he wanted us to have. And not only that, but he stands behind it so that while we're reading it, he is speaking it. And when we believe in it, he is standing behind his word for our sake. Um, and so we're going to be in the word, but I just, I just want to unpack what did God think he was doing with Jesus And I'm not even sure I'm ready to tell you what I think about what he was thinking, but it's pretty big. But one of the reasons I want to talk about this is I think right now, especially if you're a young person, you have an opportunity to experience um, death by choice. You have the opportunity to have so many options, opportunities, validated pathways that you can do anything and find some TikTokers to tell you you're wonderful in doing it. And I mean anything. You could devote the rest of your life to the evilest of evil, and there would be influencers telling you how wonderful you are. And you have every opportunity to absolutely destroy yourself because you feel you have unlimited choice to do whatever you want with yourself. And it's crazy. I kind of had a, a small experience of this, the insanity of unlimited choice that we kind of live with this week. I went for coffee with someone. I showed up an hour and 15 minutes late, which they were very grateful, gracious about. And we went to a coffee shop, and he was talking about how the last time he was at that coffee shop, he just made up his order. Because he knew he was supposed to get something, but he didn't really know what it was called. So he was just like, you know, I'll get a mocha coffee, you know, cappuccino thing. And they were like, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. And they whipped him up that drink. 
And I'm just like, we're at the place of choice where you can make up the drink right there talking to the barista and they know you've already fitted in the slots. It's kind of like, I'd like a pre-calf, bat milk, rabbicino, please. And they would make it for me because they're like, oh, he has a third guy this day. Bat milk? Oh, yeah, it's kind of expensive, but we just put in a drop. I know I've lost a third of you right there with the bat milk comment. I'm not a biologist. Uh, whatever. <laughs> bat milk. I uh, should have... Should have not gone there. Yeah, thank you. Oh, thanks. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Come back every week. Oh, man. And f- anyhow, maybe you know what I'm talking about here. Like, you can do anything and find people who will do this for you. And, uh, and, I, and I actually wonder if this is part of why there is like this crazy despair in our young people. Because when everything is an option, nothing means anything. When everything is valid, nothing is really good or right. When, when opposites are equally as important, neither one matters. And unfortunately, where we've gone, none of you matter in our culture. And even there's this push where if you just are just like, I don't even like living, there's a government person that'll come and end that, and it's just as supported as if you chose to live. Your pulse doesn't even matter anymore. Your love doesn't even matter anymore. Your personality doesn't even matter anymore. In this, in this push to, to have everything be at least okay, nothing becomes worth living for. Or living forever for. And so I hate that. Don't you hate the despair in the young people? That there's important people out there telling them every year that, you know, five more years and we're all dead. And then ten years later, oh no, it's this next five years. And you know they've been doing that since the 70s, right? You can find newspaper headlines. Ten more years. 1973. But there's just this message, this this message. You get whatever you want. Unfortunately, whatever you want is meaningless. That's crazy. That is the exact opposite of what God did on Resurrection Sunday all those years ago. Instead, he was giving us a person and an event A person who bought an event and an event that defined a person. If I can put it like that, though I don't totally like putting it like that. Who says to us, now everything matters. And you can matter forever in every way with God. So, and I'm calling this resurrection mode. Resurrection mode engaged. This is like, you know, when people are hitting the gym and they go, I put on an extra couple of plates and it's beast mode time. Now they're really going to do what they can do, and they're really going to show up, and they're really going to go to the max. That was what God was doing on Resurrection Sunday. Now you will see what God can God. Resurrection mode engaged. So we're going to read from the book of Colossians. And the reason I'm kind of talking about this is because when the Apostle Paul, who met Jesus raised from the dead... Jesus was so glorious that it struck him blind, and he needed to get his eyes healed so he could start ministering again... 
um, chose him to go around to various cities, getting beat up and attacked and harassed and persecuted while talking about Jesus and healing people. He's never been to this city of Colossae, but co-workers of his have. And it appears to me as I read this book that this is one of these cities that's got lots of different people saying lots of different things. Lots of religions, lots of philosophers, and so the Christians there have all different kinds of options about where to put their trust and how to think in ways that would make them feel special and better than everybody else. And the Apostle Paul wants to rescue them from wasting their lives trying to pick their best options by arm-wavingly telling them that the best of everything is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he can be all yours. And so, here we go. Let's, I'll read this. And these are... I killed it. I pressed a button and it died, friends. Can we get me onto the second... Thing there. Okay. Well, now that I'm here, <laughs> once upon a time, yes, this is good. I'm going to just wait a minute because I want you to see it too. Okay, next slide. He is live. Yay. There we go. Okay. The Father, it says he there, but I just, I put in he or the Father and Jesus just for clarity there. The Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Okay, so it's not just a, an, a neutral world where we choose. There is such a thing as being under a domain of darkness. Okay? He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. That's being purchased back from slavery into freedom, the forgiveness of sins. And then now he is going to unload the Gatling gun of theological awesomeness about Jesus to try to begin to explain how amazing Jesus Christ is post-resurrection for the sake of the church. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible what you can see and invisible what you can't see. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. First place, winner, gold prize, Jesus. Let's get on to the next slide if we can. I'm going to let you do it. Okay. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by his blood on the cross. Then he moves to us and why this is so good for us. And you who once were alienated, so separated and hostile in mind, you didn't even want to think good things about God as he really is. You'll worship anything and believe anything. Instead, doing evil deeds, he has reconciled in his body 
of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, in which I, Paul, became a minister. And this is what he's trying to do. He is explaining the post-resurrection Jesus and how he is in every way that could ever be important, the best, the awesomest, the highest, the strongest, the mightiest, and the most victorious, so that you and I who are lost and guilty and corrupted and evil left on our own will put all our trust in him for all times and not waste our lives and destroy ourselves with the delusion that we can just choose whatever. Because God's already made a choice. And he set himself up with a Messiah who's the best of everything. Can I unpack this a little bit? Yeah, i got to use my time well. Do you need a hero? Do you want an influencer? Do you need an educator? Who could you imagine there is that you could say about them, everything it means to be God is them? For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We don't use that language very much, but it's what we would say when we say that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity and the Son of God, and they are the one true God and three persons. And Paul is just saying, when you think of Jesus, you need to know something, everything it could ever mean to be the glorious, all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing, all-judging, ever-present God is in Jesus. And it walked on the earth in Jerusalem. But where else are you going to go? Who else could be more important to you in your life than somebody who is the fullness of God? And what if you have troubles while he's already reconciling you to the point of even dying? Has anybody here had someone actually die for them? I'm I'm looking. You know, excluding Christ. Okay, no, no, like heart transplants. Nobody died, and you got it. Okay, so, eh? Whoever you like, and whoever you love, and whoever you want, and whoever you think you need, nobody has loved you like Jesus has already loved you. To build an unshakable everlasting relationship with you based upon his own willingness to suffer and shed sacrificial blood to cleanse you. And there is everything that God could ever give you in him when he gave himself to you. Where else are you going to go? What could be better than this? Well, let's even back up the truck a little bit more. I'm going to try to back up the truck here. There we go. 
Even before he was raised from the dead, Jesus was alive and fully active. And he is so perfectly just like God that you can say about him, he is what God looks like. He's the image of God. Now, us as human beings, if you've read your Genesis lately, you know that we are also made in the image of God. But did something happen? Yeah, even though we were his image bearers, our first parents said, I got this. You know, that? what's that mean? I got this, you know. Obeying God, eh, living on your own, eh, and got us all dead. So that even though, yes, we are made in the image of God, it's a corrupted image, it's a perverted image, it's a distorted image, and apart from God, and when we give our hearts and our minds over to evil, it gets so bad that Jesus even said about his Jewish fellows that your dad is actually the devil. Even though they're like, we're Abraham's descendants, which is true. And we're descendants of God, which was true. But their hearts and their minds were so alienated and opposed to the living God that he said, you're actually more like in the image of Satan right now. And of course, they loved that. They found it a personal compliment. And then they had a time of reflection. No, they wanted to kill Jesus when he said that. Just like Satan would. <laughs> Sometimes people totally prove that there's an issue when you tell them an issue by how they respond to the fact they've been told there's an issue. I know I have. Rob, I think you have an anger issue. <clears throat> and maybe you've done that too. But Jesus is so perfect and faultless and flawless and just like God in his character that everybody who looked on him in his life was seeing God. And when we see Jesus through the scripture, we are seeing the image of God himself. He's also the firstborn of all creation. Now some people take this to think, well, does that mean he's born and maybe blah, blah, blah. Well, Firstbornness meant there was a social status in a family of elevated rights and responsibility. That's what it meant. So you might remember Jacob and Esau. Anybody remember Jacob and Esau? Esau goes out hunting one day. He's not super successful. He comes home really hungry. He goes to his little brother. He's probably in the in the habit of bossing his little brother around. Anybody like that? Anybody used to bossing? Yeah, cut that stuff out. Um, goes to his little brother, give me something to eat. Jacob, got a little lawyer in his heart, says, why don't you sell me your birthright? The fact that you're the firstborn. He says, oh, okay, fine. Better off not being the firstborn than being dead, he thinks. And he sells his rights as a firstborn. So did that mean they actually swapped places in birth? No, it just meant that there is a social, legal status of rights and responsibilities that the firstborn has over the family. And Jesus has this. He's the boss over creation. And he has the right to go into any situation, any governmental situation, any economic situation, any disease situation, any geographical situation, any resource situation, and say, actually, guys, I'm going to press pause on this. I'm the king, so you're going to stop this, and this is what's going to happen, and you can't argue because I'm the firstborn. This is even before he was born, raised from the dead. And then you get the four. It's because he made everything. Everything in heaven, Jesus made, except for his dad and the Holy Spirit. Everything on the earth, Jesus made. If you can see it, who made it? If you can't see it, who made it? 
Yeah, he, he, <laughs> he's the creator. That's a bit of a brain buster. And then he pushes it farther, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. And this is kind of an interesting little grouping here because it's kind of got one foot in the human political realm as well as the other foot in the spiritual um, worship demonic authorities realm. And back in those days, those things were a lot more connected than we think. We tend to think about secular governments, which is just a bunch of people um, spending money they don't have in nice clothes to try to get you to keep them in places where they can spend money they don't have so that they can keep wearing their nice clothes and blah, 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 blah. But we don't often think about them having spiritual forces above them, operating through them. So it does say that in Ephesians that that still is the case. But he's talking about this, all this realm of power, thrones or dominions, both people who strut around in their gold clothes and the spiritual forces who work behind them that get the people to make idols and force the people to come worship the idols. All these things were made by God, were made through Christ. And yes, most of them and many of them in rebellion to him, but not, not out from underneath his divine control. And they were actually made to bring him glory. And he will get glory. Through the angels that submit to him, as they serve us, he gets glory. And through his triumph over the demonic forces, when he throws them into the lake of fire, he will get his glory. But he is over all these things. And he's before all things. And in him, all things hold together. There was a time when people were making up ideas. One of them is called deism which is the idea that God just made the world like a clock and he put in all the little gears and he wound that thing up and he set it going and then he walked away. See, thinking like that, what that lets us do is go, and now we get to do whatever we want because the clockmaker isn't at home right now. Right? (laughs) No, 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 no. Everything even now is being upheld by Jesus' powerful word. Everything holds together in him. He's the beginning of all wisdom and he sustains all knowledge. He's the beginning of all life and he sustains all life. He's the Lord over death and kind of can decide when it might happen and kind of can undo it when he doesn't like it. He's the boss. And that's just the creation side and then it moves into the church side where Jesus is the head of the body of the church so he's my boss and your boss. And he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might be preeminent. So waving the arms, and thanks for walking with me, but what he's trying to say is everything you can see and not see, and everything that exists and will exist, and everything that's broken and will get remade, Jesus is the number one gold champion above it all. And the point being, where you're going to go to get better. Where are you going to go in all the universe to find better? Where's the upgrade? Where's the smarter than this? Where's the stronger than this? Where's the richer than this? Where's the better future than this? Where are you going to go? Like whose philosophy are you going to adopt that's going to produce something better than this? And because I know I'm talking a little bit about Jesus himself, the Apostle Paul in the next chapter says, just describes an appropriate response. (laughs) 
Therefore, as you've received Jesus Christ as the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith in him, you could put, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So it's like an appropriate response would be to become completely obsessed with this guy. M I right? An appropriate response, if you've been introduced to the number one over everything person, would be to become completely obsessed with him. And just to personalize it a lot, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. That would be our isms. According to the elemental spirits of the world, that would be the demonic powers, and not according to Christ. One little mention about demonic powers. I've kind of heard Steinbeck actually has a fairly developed like Wicca culture in town, and, and there's people doing Ouija board stuff like this. It's your choice. And I'm not controlling you. However, I once heard a story about somebody who owned a snake. Like one of these python-type snakes. And they thought their snake was really loving because they would sometimes wake up in the morning and the snake was in bed with them, lying right beside them. What a friendly python. It loves me. I feed it mice and I feed it gerbils and whatever animals you think are particularly cute. I feed it to the snake. And it snuggles up with me. And I don't know if this is true, but I think it's true. Somebody warned him one time. It's like, your snake doesn't like you. It's just trying to figure out if it's big enough to eat you yet. It measures itself against you to see, if I kill this thing, can I eat it? And it doesn't think it's big enough yet, but it will get there if you keep feeding it. There are all kinds of spirits in this world only one will ever really love you. It's called the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. He's the only one. Every other one just wants to keep you around until it's big enough to consume you. And when it's got a hold of you enough, it might be too late. And the only thing you'll have to rescue you is calling on the name of Jesus Christ, who is the head of all rule and authority. He's the only one that can save you from this. If you've been giving your heart to the... I know there's, there'll be a time where it feels good. There'll be a time where it feels powerful. There'll be a time where it think, you'll think it's like a partnership. But sometime and soon you'll see this is... You are not benefiting from this relationship. And the only thing that can rescue you is a more powerful spiritual force. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why it says next, and not Jesus Christ. In him, the whole fullness of deity, deity just means like what it means to be God, dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So there is more arm-waving a-coming, friends. Because somebody could sit here, self-pity zoning it, and just be thinking, well, that's nice for Jesus. He gets to win all the ribbons and get all the prizes. Golf clap. The way God has designed salvation is that when we come to Jesus in trust and we welcome him, we get filled with the Holy Spirit in such a way that it becomes true that all the fullness of God fills you. In him, the whole fullness of the deity dwell bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Do you Do you understand the bigness here? What 
philosophy could offer you anything when you are currently being filled by the one who is all the fullness of everything it means to be God. That's what he's just trying to say. Like, what temptation could you get excited about? What ism could you add on to your Christian that's going to make you think there's some kind of improvement over God himself dwelling fully in you so that you're at the place where he can say, I don't see any spot without some meat in it. And we need to kind of fight for this because I know many of us live with the emptiness where there is constantly the thought that there is something I need missing from me. And you fill it with this and you fill it with that and you trade it for this and you trade it for that and you hide it with these lies and you hide it with that lie. Maybe it'll work for a little bit. You might be able to numb out the emptiness. You might be able to forget the emptiness. You might be able to run for a bit from the emptiness, but it will come back. Even if you do and accomplish every single fantasy of greatness that you think will finally prove you're the kind of person who can look in the mirror and be okay with who you are, the emptiness will still be there because of the curse of death. And even if you achieve everything you could ever want to achieve, guess what? You'll still get old and your heart will give out and you'll get a shovel full of dirt in your face. Don't put your hope in defeating the emptiness all on your own. Instead, we're supposed to put all our trust in the one who decided to become a man even though he was very God and was given all authority over heaven and earth and all the angels and the right to command the devils and said, I will reconcile you to myself through the most torturous death that God can imagine, including embracing being cursed by my own father unto death so that when I arise from death, having conquered every kind of thing that can ever be conquered, I will have the ability to fill you with everything I am so you will be full forever. So the emptiness is a lie for you, sister. The emptiness is a lie for you, brother. Because you're filled with the one who is the head over all rule and authority. I think I had one more slide. Let's see what I got here. To the point, this is really funny. I just smiled when I was working on this message. To the point that when you're in faith in Jesus and it's working, and I'm not saying that someone can't say, Rob, you know, you were, you, you were, you were too rude and you should apologize for being rude. And I can apologize because I can't be rude. Or you were thoughtless. I can be thoughtless. You were greedy. I can totally do that. I'm not saying that we don't do um, hearing people say, that you were living less than who you are in Christ and you should repent of that. I'm not saying we don't live like that. But Paul is just waving his arms at these Colossians saying, everything that Jesus has ever given you has put you in the beyond judgment zone when it comes to worldly stuff and worldly religion stuff. And I think it's really funny, this is what we have been laughing about, is like part of the message today on Easter Sunday where we have this great big gathering is that this gathering doesn't matter at all compared to being in Jesus Christ. 
And if you never celebrated Easter and you never celebrated Christmas and you never celebrated Pentecost and you never had one special day or a Sunday, but you were in Christ, you're not missing anything because everything that is important about Easter Sunday is Jesus. The point of this day is he came out of the grave and he's still alive and he can live in you. So if you have the one who came back from the grave living in you, you've got this day and you don't need this day. Ah, sorry. The volume's turned down there. Well, a a little golf clap. I'll take a little golf. You know, he's lining up for the putt. Oh, it didn't quite go in. Very close, very close. But, you know, oh. Yeah, that's right. If I could just get that jacket. If I could just get that jacket. Walking down the greens, got a caddy by my side. What should I do? Don't you're stupid. I don't get to do. Give me that wood. You lined up some good stuff for the party later. Sorry. Sorry. I've completely lost the thread. This is, this is the, this is the whole like universe turning upside down event of the resurrection. This is what I'm trying to say. Jesus coming back from the dead for his church was so amazing that everything else is like nothing compared to him. Like, all religions are just about their special days. All religions are just about their special days and what you can eat and what you can't eat. That's all they do. And God says, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to take you. I'm going to scrub you off with God. I'm going to fill you up with God. And I'm going to put you right into the middle of God and say, what day is going to make this better? So you're at home sick. You missed Easter. If you've got Jesus, you've got the point of Jesus. I mean, Easter. Okay, good. This is a two-part message you might notice from the slide. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about what that means for us in our hearts. And so you have to come back. (laughs) But this is what I want to wave my arms about, okay? Church, we have been very navel-gazy, self-focused, because we keep thinking there's something really wrong with us, and if we could just make our church experience a little bit better, then we would finally have arrived, and then we can get to the, pro- to the, to the mission of going. If we can just fill in the... We're full. And so the point of resurrection mode is going like, we don't stay in the grave, and our gospel doesn't stay in the church, and our spirit doesn't stay in the prayer room. It's overflow time. You're full. You're full. You're full in the back. You guys, if you've got Jesus, maybe you've gotten yourself stuck in something and you need to get clean. Maybe you've shackled yourself up to one of the principalities in power. You need to get that prayed off. But your nature in Jesus is filled to overflowing. And everywhere you go, you can overflow. Me too. I'm beginning to get this. All of you should become staff members at a church for 12 years so that you can learn to get this. 
actually have joked more than once, like, I think God made me a pastor just because I would have, like, lost my faith and been lost without the responsibility of needing to, like, keep pressing into Jesus for other people's sake. Right? Because if I, if I go off the rails, put up your hand if it would hurt you, if I really went off the rails. Okay? So that sometimes keeps me from going off the rails. But like, oh, it's 11.30. I really, I don't, I'm not a prophet. I don't know the future, but we are on the cusp of one of the great world order rearrangings in human history. It's, it's probably going to be rough. And we are going to have all kinds of opportunities to say, I lost this and so I'm empty. And we've lost that and so I'm empty. And we can't do that. And we don't get invited to those meetings. And we don't get to do this and so I'm empty. And this is falling apart. And our nation, like, okay, I, I like Canada quite a lot. But Canada is not going to live forever. You are. And the Canadians are either going to live forever or not. And they're our mission. Not the laws necessarily, though it's always better to have good laws. And not the economy necessarily, though it is better to have a good economy. We need to be on mission. And these are tumultuous times. And the world, ah, it's not even that. Who cares about the world? Jesus has made us. We are filled to overflowing in the Spirit. That is who we are. We don't need anybody's permission to be filled. That is who we are. We don't need the CBC to come and tell us, you're all doing a good job out here. What do they know? What do they know about God and what it means to be free? Freedom is the ability to forgive. Freedom is to be free of bitterness and anger. To be like Jesus, I don't get this. To be like Jesus and to be post-torture, being crucified, praying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That is a free man. Post-torture. Body flayed. Blood everywhere. Every nerve in his body screaming, make them stop, make them stop. And every part of his soul, perhaps if he's like me going like, I hate them, I hate them. Justice, justice, kill them, God, kill them, God, save me, save me. And instead, praying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's freedom. The ability to pray and have the God of the universe hear you, that's freedom. That's freedom to get on your knees and say, dad, and to know he's in the room through the Holy Spirit. That's treasure. And him answering whatever he does is real power. And God likes to tell a good story. So he's going to keep making things tough and rough and weird and unusual. And there's going to be bad guys and evil guys are going to get their day to win. So that when they can be thrown down from the heights. Sauron's going to be on the move. There's going to be orcs doing orky things. Every once in a while you're going to run into a dark knight. Who's going to try to creep you out and make you use the one ring. Don't do it. You never get rescued by your sin. The whole point of the ring is it's got to go back into the Mount Doom. You got to kill that thing. 
And so it's going to be a mess. And it's going to be glorious. And it's going to be the best story ever. If you believe and stand steadfast and unshifted from the hope you have in the gospel, that's your job. Your job is to just don't stop believing. Why would God let that band write the song we all need to hear? That is a joke. That's funny. Because all of us weren't writing it. And so he let those guys write that. But that's all he wants from us. And so I'm going to invite the band up. Do we have something? We've got something. So we are going to have room for prayer. Our prayer team's going to come up here, but there isn't enough room for everybody. But this is, this is my call. If you want to say thanks to God for Easter today, believe that the fullness of God is in you and start going to war against the lies and the junk and the crud and the past. Don't let the proclamation, your past is the past, not be real for you. That's on you. I don't even know what it's to say. Like, that's on you. No one can wage the war of your mind but you. No one can wage the war of your unbelief but you. And you can win. And you can win. And you can win.